Hello, everybody. This is the Lonely Guy, Steve Center, from the center of the known universe, Indianapolis, Indiana. You're listening to the Theories of Adulting podcast, the show that explores various theories of human motivation to explain the how, the what, and most importantly, the why of people's behavior. This podcast is for learners who love understanding people and why they do the strange things they do. This is not a true crime podcast. Crime is one of the areas where we'll see a lot of developmental theories play out, and so we certainly will talk about that and maybe parts of what we talk about today that could fall under that true crime category. But we are going to be discussing an article that I that I came across and thought was especially relevant given some things in the news. Uh, this is, comes from the Journal of Strategic Security, uh, Volume 14, published in 2021. The article by Speckard, Ellenberg, Morton, and Ash, entitled Involuntary Celibates, Experiences of, and Grievance Over Sexual Exclusion and the Potential Threat of Violence Among Those Active in an Online in Self Forum. Now, that's a long title. I found the article to be quite enlightening. I am going to tell a, a story Now, I have lived in Indianapolis for about almost five years. Many years ago, in southern Indiana, I ran a therapy group for a few years. Now, at the time, I really was not familiar with with the term incel. I did know that the guys in my group uh, were not sexually active, and all of them would have liked to have been sexually active. And it's interesting that this article... Uh, by Speckard et al., talks about uh, a theory that they're presenting as far as how to how to work with incels. I think I'm getting this right. That basically, if we think of the incels as, as a community, there's a sub-community that, that might even be considered kind of the top of the food chain. This sub-community tends to be uh, much more misogynistic and potentially violent. The larger group of incels are just sort of sad, With that potential violence and that misogyny comes a lot of the stereotype of behaviors that that anyone who has come across members of this group kind of associate with them. Uh, One of the things I know that my guys would say in my group, and that's how I'm going to refer to them as my guys, one of the things that they would say was that they were ugly. They were very concerned with how attractive they were. And we would talk about how to be attractive. I would try to make the point that I thought that combing your hair or taking a shower, brushing your teeth, that those things were actually far more important for attractiveness than whether or not you had big muscles. And and they were, as a group, they were very concerned about becoming very, no, not all of them. And again, we're talking about, again, about a group of about 12 guys Eight of them pretty active. The other four kind of hit and miss. And so certainly not all 12 of them were like really, really into fitness. But they had an idea that women would be very attracted to them if they lifted more. You know, they had bigger biceps. And I would say, you know, look at me. I'm doughy. (laughs) Like I'm a, a, you know, I look kind of like a ball. Short and fat. So in the beginning... It was really hard to get these guys to even be nice to each other. One of the things that kind of came out was that if they were nice to each other, 
that might make them seem gay. Like being nice to another guy might be gay. Was really surprised by that level of thinking because that's wrong. (laughs) That's not true. And it was hard for me to imagine an actual adult thinking that that could be true in any way. And yet, like I said, my guys were convinced that they, they knew the cause of, you know, whatever problem. And it was that they were, if anything, too nice. And it was, it was very interesting to hear them refer to themselves. They would say things like, you know, well, girls aren't really interested in a good guy. They want jocks. They want rich guys. And I would say, you know, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, everybody likes rich. Yeah. Everybody wants a rich somebody, but I'm not really sure that adult women are that worried about jocks. Like, I mean, you're in high school. That might, that might really be very valid or at least with, with some, but I mean, there really aren't that many professional athletes, you know? So, you know, and they would talk about how the guys who were most successful with girls were always so mean to them. And I would say, you know, I I don't know that I'm seeing that. I mean, yes, it happens. There's that stereotype, and and there are people who validate that stereotype. There are mean guys who have really pretty girlfriends. I said to me, and I would tell them, I said, I do a lot of marriage counseling, guys, and the husbands I'm seeing, even, even as they're going through these marriage problems, are pretty nice guys. They're guys that I would go over and have a soda with and hang out with them. The, the guys in my group, I would not have generally would not have wanted to spend time with them outside of group. They were just very, again, very angry, very unpleasant. And it took a long time to get them to be nice to each other. And I remember one time coming back, a lot of our sessions were outside. A lot of times we just, there'd be this mass of guys, you know, seven, eight, nine men walking down the road together. And I, I have no idea what that looked like. I remember coming back to the office after one particular group and being so excited because two of them had had an actual conversation where they were respectful toward each other. And that was unheard of. You know, this article is, is postulating that these people who are kind of, you know, fall under this umbrella of incel tend to have very negative attitudes towards mental health. So the fact that I got a group of eight to 10 guys who would come out every week was you know, really extraordinary. They have very negative attitudes towards mental health. And they are, at least from a subset of them, threatening real violence. And yet what, what the authors were presenting is that, no, we shouldn't ignore the threat for violence. We shouldn't ignore the, the misogynistic things that are said. But using compassion and understanding and empathy actually seem to be the most effective treatment for working with these kinds of young men. That really validated my own experience working with that group. And I didn't say to myself, like, all right, well, I got a choice. I'm, you know, I can be mean to these guys or I can be compassionate. And eeny, meeny, miny, mo. you know, it's, it's kind of my natural M.O., when I'm dealing with clients to just be sort of nice, easy to get along with. I, and I will talk about a couple of other things that can be really helpful. Uh, but for whatever reason, if there were people in their life who were giving them love and compassion and empathy 
on a regular basis, these young men were not experiencing it. In other words, maybe they had a mom who was really outgoing and friendly and loving. And I don't mean outgoing like not shy. I mean toward them, giving them lots of love and attention. But these young men were not experiencing it. Whatever mom was doing, if it was positive, they were not getting it, whatever others were doing. And that actually became a problem that if there was a woman from time to time who would have a relatively positive interaction with one of my guys, um, the response always seemed to be to come on too strong. And I would say to them, you know, I mean, would you want somebody saying that to your mom? And they'd say, oh, I don't care. And I'd say, well, you should. <laughs> you should not want people saying mean things to your mom. That's a thing I can know for sure. But they had a very difficult time as a group. I almost felt, you know, we talk about somebody being on the autism spectrum and how one of the hallmarks of, of that is that they have a hard time recognizing the emotionality in others. Like they see somebody and they have a hard time recognizing if that person is happy or angry or whatever. I don't know that my guys were on the spectrum, but I do know that as a group, they struggled with how to understand and experience kindness especially from women but really kindness from anybody and that was maybe when i look at it maybe that was as I'm, and i'm sitting here thinking that may have been the thing i did that was so effective was i was just really genuinely nice to these guys and uh, maybe that was it maybe that was what was required and maybe that's all that was required one of the reasons we want to be thinking about this though is because you know, these young men are in our communities and the people they tend to look up to are not people I would want my own children looking up to. There's Andrew Tate's been in the news in the last couple of weeks, and that's a good example of somebody who if I if I came home and my one of my boys said to me, Dad, I've been listening to this really cool guy because they do do that sometimes. They say, oh, you know, I'm listening to this new podcast or this new show or you know whatever here's this new song and they will introduce me to it and they came home and they said oh this guy Andrew Tate he's so cool and I would be very worried and upset by that because again as a group now we don't say individually because we can't know what every single person is experiencing but in my experience it is really close to universal that they do not understand how to process kindness and probably more research needs to be done. And I didn't find any. I didn't find any, but I, I don't know that I did an exhaustive search. But probably more research needs to be done on what kind of backgrounds are leading people to this way of thinking. Is there some reason that they have such a negative worldview regarding kindness? Because uh, I would think the average person just is happy that somebody's being nice to them. The, one of the points that I would make is if a, if a woman would smile at them, you know, we're just talking about, you know, courtesy. If they were in a room and there was a woman who smiled at them, they would immediately take it that she wanted to sleep with them. Well, the reason why they had that kind of attitude toward women was because they internalize these very nasty misogynistic ideas and they would ref and i apologize for this term this is a this is a very bad term but they would they would refer to women as holes uh, it's a phrase that i'm uncomfortable even saying but it, it goes to show that this is how they think of 
women and the person only thinks of women as a whole and then that woman smiles at them they're not capable of processing what that smile means in an accurate manner it's very worrisome but after a year and a half i really felt like none of those guys qualified you know the to be the full nco that we talked about now i will say that along the way there were a lot of a lot of bumps and bruises and i had one guy who he he was not he had never been sexually active and he was very upset by that because they would see me as part of the group and then they would they would see me individually and one time i just asked him i said why if you are so worked up about this and it's so distressing and so awful not ever having been with a woman why not get on a hookup app be charming for 10 minutes see what you can that was very upsetting to him and at the time, you know, I thought, well, maybe I pushed him too hard. Or, but I actually think looking back that what happened is was that was an admission by him that he knew that he did not have the skill set to even be charming for 10 minutes. To eat. And I don't I don't mean like like Mr. Suave. I mean, just like not grossly offensive for 10 minutes that he just could not do it. And we would have conversations like that all the time. Me and these guys in the big group, I, I very seldom ever address those kind of individual concerns. I would kind of keep a little track of who I needed to talk to about what. And then when we were alone, we'd, we'd have the big talks. But in the group, I was often trying to preach kindness, kindness, be nice. I would make the guys practice this makes me laugh now that I think about it, but I would make them practice smiling at each other because they look so weird when they tried to smile. Funny, I was reading, and I wish I could remember which book it was because it was a really telling scene, but the the bad guy was, was you know, this young man and kind of kind of a creep. And, oh, you know what? I, mean, I am remembering now The Stand by Stephen King where this guy would practice smiling in the mirror so it would look natural. That was really creepy, but I wanted them to genuinely be kind to each other. So we would practice how to act like you were happy to see somebody. You know, we can we can act aggressively towards these people who are struggling, and that might be our intention. That that might feel really natural. Certainly does for me when somebody's being really aggressive. My my natural feeling is to be aggressive back. But using compassion, kindness, empathy, understanding, listening, far more valuable and more effective. And so we're using the term reinforcement. And that is when you're identifying behaviors you like, you praise them, you reward them in some way. The reward should not be very big because if you're rewarding very big, it becomes very difficult to maintain that. I learned very early on with my own kids that if I offered them, you know, 20 bucks to get the living room clean, that might work. But then I got to pay them 20 bucks. I just couldn't maintain that those kind of big expenses, you know, working my way through school and having, you know, little kids. So I, I had to modulate my thinking down to where my way I rewarded the didn't involve money as much as possible. So again, I felt like it was interesting because I found this article and then I thought about the group that I had run. And I felt like they really mirrored each other very nicely. We talk about this group. I do remember the day that one of them came and they told us that they had a date with a girl, an actual girl, an actual in-person date. 
and the response from his uh, compadres, you know, guys in the group was initially very happy for him, but then these feelings of jealousy started coming up. You know, we, we got to deal with that. And one of the things that helps so much, and yes, this helps with this particular group, but it also helps with with really anybody else you want to have a relationship with, or even if you don't want to have a relationship, you just want to have a positive interaction, is helping them to understand that while their feelings are normal, they're not helping. They're not, they're not going to help them achieve what they want. Now, you have to be very compassionate in the way you do this. You can't go and say, what are you doing? You're never going to get you know, a girl that way. I mean, you could, but I, I don't think it would be very effective, and they would not be receptive. You know, the Socratic method of kind of asking them, what do you think a girl's look? I will tell you that getting them past the idea that a woman wants a guy who's going to be very mean and very abusive, that is a challenge in and of itself. They're just, as a group, really convinced that... That is what women want. The challenge in that is that they're not emotionally mature enough to tell the difference between playful flirting. Um, and actually notice this with my own kids and my wife and I like to tease each other a little bit. Now this teasing is very light. There's no name calling. It's kind of flirty and it never gets mean. And my kids will say, oh, I wish you guys wouldn't do that. And we're like, we're flirting. We're, we like each other and they have a hard time. Well, they, as they've gotten older, they've done it. They're obviously able to recognize it better, but not being able to recognize that is a sign of emotional immaturity. And my guys uh, in my group oftentimes misunderstood the interactions they witnessed between other people, but they would get the wrong idea because we talked about not receiving, you know, like their mom might be saying nice things, but they're not receiving it as nice. I found they often misinterpreted what others were saying and how people were reacting to that. They would misinterpret it as, oh, that guy's being a real jerk, but that guy really wasn't being a jerk. He was, he was being kind of funny and, and not even not in a mean way, just said something kind of funny and everybody laughed. This is theories of adulting, right? So this is, you know, what do we need to know in order to be able to be effective grownups, how to deal with other people? Well, dealing with hard people, that's, that's a big part of being a grownup. And one of the things to realize is that this is not a sitcom where, you know, you get 22 minutes and at the end of that 22 minutes, things are going to be better. I remember vividly an episode of Night Court from the 80s where Michael J. Fox played a troubled teen and the judge, Harry Anderson, you know, kind of stood up to him. And then at the very end, he hugged Michael J. Fox and Michael, you know, Fox says, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm hugging you, kid. And the kid, you know, Michael Jay Fox kind of broke down and hugged back and everything was better. And that is not real. That is not how that works. When we're talking about working with people with long standing problems, we're talking about something that will take a long time. As I have contemplated the online interactions that I have witnessed between men who kind of fall into this incel category and others. There is very little tolerance back and forth. And that is, to my, in my mind, that's very understandable. Both sides find the other side reprehensible. Why in the world would you want to have a conversation with somebody who you think is awful or who you're very, very jealous of or whatever? But 
each time they're having these interactions, it's, it's really reinforcing uh, these. It's reinforcing these internalized behaviors that we sure would rather they not reinforce them at all. As we kind of end this, my takeaway is, you know, I was able to make some real change in the life of about eight men to where those men, and this is the thing we, we think about when we're, when we are dealing with somebody who's in our neighborhood, right? I mean, these are guys are not in some cave. They might be on our blocks. Yeah, I was able to make real change that then bled into, moved into, affected everyone around them. They started reporting much better relationships with their parents, much better relationships, again, with each other, with even their neighbors, with their friends. They would stop telling me about how their friends were trying to punk them out and all this kind of stuff. I'm not sure what we do on a larger scale to address this problem. I am certain that these young men do not want to be told you're a real problem. You are the problem. Absolutely do not want to be told that. And to a certain extent, the problem is that our society offers them much less than what was offered when I was their age. So when I was 20 years old, I was doing some some mission work and I was getting ready to start college. And I started college right after I turned 21 and I just felt like the future was very bright. I felt like my opportunities were definitely there. I think there are opportunities absolutely still, but the overriding message that they're getting and it's not untrue. That, that's the thing. Things are not where they should be. There are a lot fewer opportunities. There are a lot of developmentally important milestones that are just not optional anymore. We really have to address this on more of a societal level of creating, you know, programming, I guess, is one idea. And that I had like a group, but outreaches to reach, you know, these young men in a way that allows them to fully express themselves while we're going through the process of change. Because that was one of the things about my group. They could say horrible things. And the next session or when we were alone is when I would address it. You know, they would say something very nasty and I would not say anything. Well, because I knew that, again, we're, we're not we're not dealing with socially mature people. We're not dealing with emotionally mature people. And so, you know, if I'm going to get in their face, sure, I can tell them off. That's easy. But then I don't get to help them. I don't get to work with them. I'm going to give everybody a takeaway, something that you can use. And this is a this will be very helpful in communicating with incels. But it actually is really helpful in just communicating with people in general. And I think it especially tends to be more effective when you're communicating with men. Not that all men are the same, but that in my experience, men tend to respond better to this. And that is kind of playing dumb. When my guys would say something outrageous about women, you know, I would say, I don't, what do you mean? I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, I don't, I don't get that. And then as they tried to explain whatever they said, most of the time it would kind of fall apart as they were explaining it, because of course it was nonsense. It wasn't coming from a place of logic as it wasn't coming from a place of truth. It was coming from these, these feelings of uh, envy and hatred. 
And those feelings cannot last in the light of day. They, they hide in dark places in our souls and in our minds. And when they're exposed and we say, okay, well, help me understand what you're getting at. Cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not getting it. Help me understand this. They fall apart. Now, once they fall apart, our natural inclination is going to be to pounce rather than that. This is the time to show greater compassion, not compassion for the horrible thing they're saying. You don't have to say anything positive about the nasty misogynistic things coming out of their mouth, but Regardless of what they said, we're still dealing with a person and we can treat them like people. And as we do, then over the long term, then we will see, we will see real improvement. But we're talking about millions of young men uh, fully enmeshed in a system of government and economics that has completely left them out to dry. And then for whatever reason, if they do vote, they vote for the people who continue to oppress them. So again, this is a process, but I really want to note that I appreciate the article that I found by Speckhardt et al. That it's always nice to find research that validates the way you've been doing it. (laughs) It's always really great to uh, think that maybe you did it right. All right. This is Steve Center, Theories of Adulting. Um, All right. So we got other podcasts, uh, Losing Weight with the Lonely Guy may not realize this. I've probably mentioned it before. I know I've mentioned it before. I mentioned it all the time, but I'm kind of big and fat and I have decided to address that. I've also got the Doctor Who review where I go back to the very first episodes of the, of the Doctor Who series from the 1950s or 60s, black and white episodes, and kind of just discuss you know what the episode was about and, and what we see from there. We're going to take it all the way through the present day. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. I will see you next week.